0: Hello, friends, and welcome. This is episode 70 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. So glad to have you here. And we've got a lot of terrific ways to listen to this podcast. If you find the link on Syracuse.com or through social media, that is terrific. But don't forget that you should and you can subscribe to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just find Syracuse.com podcasts. And not only will you get this podcast, Get the Syracuse football podcast with Stephen Bailey, our Buffalo Bills podcast with Matt Perino. The NFL draft is approaching. Now, the Bills don't have a first round pick, but still have plenty to do in the 2020 NFL draft. And Matt has had some terrific guests, insight, and analysis into what the Bills are doing in the draft and what the Bills will do through the offseason. Football is still pressing forward here. We think we're going to have the NFL in the fall as usual, at least we hope we do. And Matt is all over it with the Buffalo Bills podcast. So subscribe, and whenever a new episode of this podcast, the Syracuse Football Podcast or the Buffalo Bills podcast comes out, you'll have it ready to listen to on demand when you want. My guest today is Gary Gate, one of the best lacrosse players of all time but now making his mark in the coaching rank as the head coach of the Syracuse women's lacrosse team. Gary, along with a lot of other athletes and coaches out there, had their seasons abruptly stopped just over a month ago when the coronavirus really hit home and sports everywhere had to shut down because of it. Gary had a team that was well on its way to competing for a national championship, but what has he been doing in the shutdown? How has he been motivating his players through the shutdown? He's gotten two key As we're about to mention here, he's gotten two key players coming back for next year. And that Syracuse women's lacrosse team is primed and ready for a championship run. But what have been the challenges of coaching through a shutdown? How does he look forward to 2021? How did he get into coaching? I think you'll enjoy that story. And something I had never talked about with Gary and the opportunity to interview him a number of times, and that is simply, how did he arrive at Syracuse? Gary kind of had his Michael Jordan got cut from the high school team moment in that story. I think you'll enjoy it. But first, when the sports world shut down just over a month ago, we were all put into a world of uncertainty. When could sports come back? How would they come back? And what would it look like? Well, we don't have the answers to all of those questions, but we are starting to see the forest through the trees in terms of some athletes that will be back next year for Syracuse lacrosse, both men's and women's that will make them national championship contenders. The NCAA had said right when the shutdown occurred that the right thing to do would be to allow these athletes to return, the seniors that had lost an entire season due to an act of God, an unforeseen thing, to come back and be able to play that last year. Now it's up to the schools to honor that. Some have not done so. The University of Wisconsin, for example, announced that that any seniors on their rosters had played their last game at Wisconsin. But Syracuse didn't do that. John Wildhack, Syracuse Athletic Director, recently put it out there that any senior that wanted to come back and have one last shot at it would be granted that opportunity. That was a wise decision on Wildhack's part for a number of reasons, but when you look at it specifically for lacrosse, look out. Goaltender Drake Porter on the men's side and face-off specialist Danny Varello have recently announced they'll be back in 2021. Porter led the ACC in save percentage this past season stopping 58% of the shots that he faced. He wrote this on his Instagram account, quote, My teammates and I will do whatever it takes to bring a national championship back to Cuse. Hartford or bust? Referring to the site of the 2021 Final Four. Varello ranked 12th nationally with a face-off win percentage of 63%. That marked second in the ACC, trailing only his teammate Jacob Fobb. Jamie Trimboli is considering coming back, one of the top scorers in the ACC, including this. The entire first midfield unit made All-American, according to Inside Lacrosse. Trimboli, Brendan Curry, and Tucker Dordovic. They were on pace to be the third most productive midfield line by points per game in Syracuse history. This will only get better if Stephen Reifus decides to come back, and what is already a loaded attack position for the lacrosse team, including Griffin Cook. The electric transfer, Chase Scanlon, who when the season ended, led Syracuse in points. 18 goals, 5 assists. A terrific fourth option in Owen Siebold. Did I mention that Syracuse is one of the top recruits in the country? Owen Hiltz, a midfielder and attackman from Culver Academy in Indiana coming in. Syracuse ended the season number one, but that will not satisfy them. They want to earn it, and they want to go for a championship. And they have the pieces to do it with names with some of the names I mentioned and some I didn't. Guys like Brendan Curry, Lucas Quinn, David Lipka, Peter Durth, Jacob Buttermore, and so many more who will be back on the squad next year. On the women's side, a player who is clearly on track to be the best in the country, win the Teworthan Trophy, the Heisman Trophy of lacrosse, Emily Harris-Chuck is coming back for her senior season. When sports shut down, the SU women's team was 7-1. and one. They were number four in the country. They had defeated Maryland and Northwestern, two powers, in the women's lacrosse game. And they were starting to come together as a squad that was a serious national championship contender. Harris-Chuck shined above them all. 46 points, 39 goals, 7 assists on a shortened season. And was well on her way to being one of the greatest players in Syracuse history. Aza Goldstock, who had an NCAA-leading 7.07 goals against average in 2020, is going to be back for 2021. Aza and Emily are great friends and form a one-two punch that's unmatched in women's college lacrosse. In fact, when Coach Gate, who we're going to talk to shortly, called Emily this week, he said, Hi, is this Emily Harris-Chuck, member of the 2021 National Championship team? But it's not just those two. Four other Syracuse players were named All-Americans. Redshirt junior Carrie DeFelice, sophomore Sarah Cooper, sophomores Megan Carney and Megan Tyrell earned notable, earned honorable mention accolades and are two terrific scorers. Carney led the Orange in assists and was second in goals. Tyrell ranked third on the team in points and goals. But bottom line is these two teams are ready to compete for a championship right now, knowing what those rosters look like. But as the great Tom Petty once sang, The waiting is the hardest part, but these two teams are simply going to be worth the wait. Let's bring them in. Gary Gates, Syracuse University women's lacrosse head coach, one of the best players of all time. He joins us here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Let's take a listen. Well, Gary, I know what you would normally be doing this time of the year, but uh, we're in kind of some unique circumstances, so... Uh, What are you doing as a lacrosse coach who would normally be a coach at lacrosse here in the spring?
1: Well, we would be traveling today to the ACC tournament. That's right. what we normally be doing today in particular. But uh, instead, I have, uh, you know, besides, you know, uh, some social media with the players, some uh, some calls, some Zoom, um, you know, keeping everybody motivated, making sure everybody's well, everybody's safe, and uh, really uh, trying to make sure you can put the best team possible together for next year.
0: You just said it right there, Gary, checking in on people, keeping them motivated. But, uh, look, there's no handbook for this, for anybody, really. So how have you approach this. What have you learned as a coach and having to deal with something maybe you never thought you'd have to deal with?
1: Well, we're we're in unprecedented times and and never had to go through this before. And it's, you know, I think what I do appreciate is, is the players and, and the coaching staff and the sports staff that we have and how we have rallied and stuck together through all of this. and, and, You know, my team still has the belief that it's about competing for and winning a national championship. And they've changed their focus from this year to next year, and they've already started on the mission.
0: Yeah, next year, Gary, you have some key players that have announced they're coming back. We'll talk about that here shortly. And it, it feels like there's a little more clarity, right? The NCAA in Syracuse said, okay, we're going to allow those. A player is to come back for a fifth year if they want, and it seems like okay. We we've got somewhat of a path to a season, but in some ways, man, twenty twenty one feels a long way away. So, how do you kind of keep that fire burning for what what could be a year here to to get to where you want to be? As you said, competing for a national championship.
1: Well, we're still in, in kind of wait and see mode. Um, you know, I think the number one focus for the kids is to, to finish up the semester and then they're finishing that, uh, I think this week, next week and then into finals. But, uh, during the meantime, it's about, you know, will we be back in the fall practicing, preparing, you know, that's what we're all hoping for is to be back on campus and have the opportunity to get our teams together and to start doing the work on the field again. And, uh, you know, it's a wait-and-see kind of situation, but uh, we're gearing up for it, and we're preparing for it.
0: Gary, when this thing, uh, you know, shut down and the sports world abruptly came to a halt, you, you were a 7-1 and one team, you had just come off a win over Virginia Tech, getting ready to play uh, Virginia on March the 12th. You had beaten Maryland, and we all remember the uh, the fun that surrounded that game, of course. And beat Northwestern, and and those were those were you know I think safe to say statement wins. Those are two of the top programs in, in women's college lacrosse. And while you had a long road to go down, it just felt like something was brewing. How how good do you think this team could have been this year?
1: I think you hit, it, hit the head on the, the nail on the head there, where we uh, we started to really develop some chemistry and. and you know, one of the things that you know as a staff, we agreed that we thought the Stony Brook loss could have been one of the best things for us. It got they got the kids a, a nice reality check that they have to work hard. They got to be prepared for every game. And, and you know, since that game, we we rolled and, and they really started gelling and we got some amazing wins. You know, our first win at Northwestern ever. So that that was pretty impressive. A win over Maryland, which we haven't had since two thousand twelve. So we've uh you know, we made some strides and we were gaining some momentum and I think this team, you know, has a ton of potential, but you you gotta start over again and you you gotta build that chemistry again. It's not just gonna be there when you show up after several months off. So we got work to do and, and we know that we have the potential.
0: Gary, one thing that you were going to be facing as a coach this year, and you started to get into it a little bit, was you know with the Carrier Dome construction happening, you were going to spend most of the season on the road. And I know that your players were kind of taking on, they almost uh, took on a pirate mentality, right? That uh, you, you uh, kind of travel and conquer wherever they went. Well, you didn't have to do that. I guess if there's a small silver lining in this whole thing is – you didn't have to go through that, but what a unique uh, circumstance it would have been to have spent so much time not only on the road but in neutral places. And I know in a way you were sort of looking forward to it, right? Because there was going to be some recruiting spots you could have gone to and some places you could have showcased your team in your game.
1: Well, that, that was the, the strategic plan, you know, with the, the dome unavailable for the, for the new roof. We were going to go to Dallas, Texas, a place that, you know, we we have a, pl- a couple players from, and we continue to recruit out of that area. It's a little mini hotbed of, of talent, and uh, we were going to play down in Florida for spring break and, and get it, you know, get out of the snow, <laughs> I guess, and, <laughs> and get some nice warm weather down there. So we, we and, and we recruit well down in Florida. We get some great talent uh, coming out of Florida. So you know, we we tried to be strategic in it a little bit. And it, it wasn't a lot of away games, but it was a few. And uh, you know, we we had the finale here in Syracuse with North Carolina coming in, and uh, you know, for our, our last home game at CBA, which was the plan, and you know, that would have been a great one. And unfortunately, uh, it didn't happen. And we'll we'll see what happens next year.
0: Gary, uh, we've heard some announcements lately of, of some athletes that have decided to take advantage of something the NCAA and Syracuse University is, is going to honor, and that's giving them that extra year of eligibility. And what a, 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 a unique circumstance you have as a coach to take advantage of this. And when you get a player like Emily Harris-Chuck, who's decided to come back for another season, when maybe you had it in your head that you had seen her play her last game here. What's it been like to go through that that kind of wave of emotions, thinking that, but now knowing that she's going to come back and give it a shot to win that championship next year?
1: Well, we had almost a month of waiting to find out what was going to happen with the NCAA. And the NCAA makes their decision, and then, you know, it's up to each university to to respond and decide how they want to move forward. And we were very lucky that – our, our athletic director, John Wildhack, and our chancellor supported uh, athletics and wanted to have these kids have the opportunity to finish their last year at Syracuse. So they, they supported these young kids, and it was an easy decision from there. Um, you know, at this point, we, we don't have anybody that doesn't want to come back. We're still working on details on some others. Um, but it looks like our team will be pretty well intact coming back next year, um, and then we'll add a, a, a nice freshman class next year. Uh, some really great talent, and uh, we're excited to put it all together. It's, it's definitely going to be a, a different team than this year with that, that new class coming in, and uh, it's going to be exciting and interesting to see how it all plays
0: out. Specifically with Emily, Coach, she was on track to have a pretty special season. She was right in the conversation. I think for the Torethan Trophy, the best player in the country, however you want to phrase it, and, and what was supposed to be her senior year, And now she gets another chance to, to build on this legacy. What did you see? Let's start there. What did you see from her in this season and what she was on track to being?
1: Well, she, she has what most incredible great players have. And that's a a drive to be excellent and the drive for success. And she truly wanted to win and she was going to do everything in her power to make that happen. And and then preparing herself, helping her teammates uh, being a great leader as a captain. And and she was doing all those things. And, and, you know, certainly for any one team, you know, I would have put her as a tour winner last year for what she did. You know, she was the only All-American on our team last year. And, you know, we come back, you know, top four in the country being ranked with one All-American. And it just shows you how amazing she was as a as a person, leader and an athlete.
0: Aza Goldstock has decided to come back as well. I know she's really good friends with Emily, and to have that combination one on the offensive end. But, Coach, your your defense was starting to really build something, too. Uh, Goldstock was leading the country in terms of goals against average. And, you know, it seemed like from the moment this all happened, she had kind of expressed a desire to come back if she could. And and now that she's got that opportunity, it's something maybe uh, I, I would imagine you're excited about and the team's excited about to have two senior leaders back like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we actually have three seniors coming back on the on the defensive end. Uh Carrie D. Felice who actually was a redshirt junior and was planning on coming back anyway. But she'll be back and, and then we we have um uh Ella Simpkins who was a, a starter on the DM as well, who will be back for her fifth year and to finish out her senior year. And then, you know, they have Ace of quarterbacking and all From the goal position, you know, she was much like Emily. She's driven. She wants to win. She wants to prove herself, prove the defense. And, you know, when the the final whistle went, um, we had made incredible strides on the DN and were ranked number one in the country uh, for scoring defense. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it's the work that that they put in. And and Coach D. Felice did a wonderful job to get them prepared and and really get them focused. and, And they were doing the job
0: coach you mentioned that the interesting balance there so you have some returning players you've got a great freshman class coming in it, it's going to be unique for you because the you know the NCAA has has put some rules out there Syracuse put some rules out there about expanded rosters and you know kind of being flexible with this and giving those players that wanted to come back the opportunity to do it so what's going to be different about this team in, in terms of that in terms of your roster and, and things that maybe you normally wouldn't have the opportunity to take advantage of?
1: Well, you know, we'll be back to dealing with a, a bit larger roster. We'll be dealing with uh, some potential red shirts again. It, it, it may encourage, you know, where some of these players had opportunities to, to fill these seniors' roles next year, you know, they're going to have to wait a year. So there's going to be some tough decisions made on, you know, do I red shirt? Do I, do I ride it out? and, you know, just back them up another year. Like, a lot of decisions to be made, but the good thing is um, almost all of our players want to come back. They want want to be part of a run to a national championship, and uh, they're dialed in, and and they're prepared to do whatever it takes, uh, whether it's be a role player, support player, uh, redshirt support player, whatever it takes to help this team be successful. They're all on board, so it's great.
0: Gary, on a different note, I wanted to ask about you and, and, and go back to the beginning for you when when you were playing as a kid and lacrosse was something that became something you were good at and something that, you know, became important to you and, and college became something that was in your, in your scope and you were looking at how, I don't think we've, I've had the chance to interview you a number of times, I don't think I've ever asked you this, like how did Syracuse come on the radar for you? How did you end up here?
1: Well, I'll try and shorten it, but uh, basically, when I was in high school, I was playing on a men's field lacrosse team um, with a couple of my coaches. Uh, They invited Paul and myself to come out and play with the men's team uh, while we were in, I think, ninth grade or something like that. And our team was Canadian national champs for a few years in a row, and. They had national team tryouts for the world team, and uh, Paul and myself got invited out to the tryouts in, in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, the head coach of the Canadian national team was a guy named Bobby Allen, who was friends with Coach Simmons, and uh, unfortunately we were young and we didn't make the Canadian team, but uh, he called up Coach Simmons and said... Um, I got a couple players I uh, can't miss, and sight unseen, Coach Simmons called up and offered us the opportunity. So it was, uh, it was an interesting situation. There weren't coaches calling from anywhere else. Uh, he was the only one and um, provided that opportunity, and we, we found a way to get here, and it's been an amazing ride ever since.
0: You and Paul didn't make that team. How did they end up doing? Did they need you?
1: Well, uh, they they lost, and uh, it was funny. That's what they get. You know, the coach said you could have made it, but you were so young. You know, we just went with some veteran players. But, you know, it's easy to look back and say, oh, I should have picked you. you (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it it was a great experience for me, and it, it helped. You know, get me to where I am now. You know, and it's good to have adversity. You know, maybe you shouldn't make every team you try out for, and and it makes you work harder. And then certainly, uh, it helps spur me on to go back and work harder and become better. You know, I, I think it was like 15 at the time, and. You know, you gotta keep working. You gotta
0: improve, Coach. It it sounds like kind of your Michael Jordan got cut from the high school team moment. You know, everybody kind of has that <laughs> moment that that drives them a little bit. I I didn't know you had one of those. This is great.
1: Yeah, yeah I think everybody does it, at some point, you know. And, and you know, sometimes you're just lucky to be invited and be in the conversation. So uh, I felt that way as well. And you know that just that helps you stay motivated as well, knowing that. You know, people appreciate the talent you have, and and think you're capable. So, it's all good stuff, and uh, you know, it's been amazing ride. Like I said.
0: How do you learn as a coach? Because you've had the opportunity, certainly, to play for a number of great coaches through the years. You mentioned a couple there, obviously Coach Simmons and Coach Desco and, and everybody that you have either associated with or, or coached with. But when you made that transition from player to coach, who, did you have a model for that, or did you just kind of learn your your own system, your own way as you went?
1: You know, I, what, what you always do is you, I think you take – what you learned from all of your coaches. And and the one that motivated, this guy named Ron McNeil motivated me. I was an average player from four years old to about 10 or 11. And then, you know, got this guy, Ron McNeil, who was a top player, Canadian Hall of Famer for lacrosse. And he coached us, and he changed the way I thought about the game. And he he basically coached us on – how and why you do things as opposed to just running through drills to get better. So he, he taught me how to learn and how to teach myself from watching, from listening, from reading, doing whatever. Take what you see, take what you learn, and go out there and teach yourself how to do it. And, and that, in a sense, was the beginning of my coaching when instead of coaching other players, I was coaching myself. And, uh, from that I started coaching at 15, my brother Paul and I had a, a team of, uh, peewees in, uh, Victoria, British Columbia. I think we were the two youngest coaches in the in the province coaching 15. We were coaching these peewee teams we went to the provincial championships. So I got a taste of it and I got excited about it. And, uh, it was always in the back of my mind while, you know, throughout my collegiate career and, And uh, I I really didn't think about it again until I, you know, got the opportunity to go down to uh, University of Maryland and coach with Cynthia Timshaw, the the Maryland women's team down there. I kind of forgot about it. But uh, I certainly, you know, loved it when I tried it when I was young.
0: Well, Coach, uh, I can't tell you much. I appreciate your time here today. I wish we were talking about uh, the season you were still playing, but uh, 2021 will be here before we know it, and you guys will get back on track and and ready to compete for that championship. You, You should have been this year. But in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks for hanging with us today here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast.
1: Thanks, Lance. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to episode 70 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Thanks to my guest, Gary Gate, for joining us. If you missed prior episodes of the Syracuse Sports Podcast, we talked also this week with David Falk, Syracuse University grad and the agent to some guy named Michael Jordan for a long time. We had a great conversation about counseling Jordan, making him one of the most marketable athletes of all time. Deep love for Syracuse and Syracuse University. We also had Elijah Hughes on the show recently, who announced just this week that he will not be coming back to Syracuse. When Elijah and I spoke on the Syracuse Sports Podcast a couple weeks back, he was leaving the door open to return. But now he's all in on the NBA draft. We still had a lot of great things in that conversation about focusing on the NBA and reflecting on his time at Syracuse. So if you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, You'll get the Syracuse Sports Podcast right there to listen when you want on demand. My name is Brent Dax. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next time.